another week off on the Super Simple Podcast. I hope you all understand it is summer. Some of us, at least I'm trying to take a little bit of time where I'm not like 100% focused on college basketball. I say this having just spent 30 hours in a gym at EYBL last weekend. But we did take a week off. It was 4th of July week. I was home. I went to upstate New York to my family. It was very nice. Um, so, Brad, it's been a bit. How are we doing? How was how was the fourth? How is the uh, the summer as basketball winds down and then sort of heats back up with summer league? That last statement you just made reminds me of when I tell people that I cut back on my college basketball watching, and they're like, <laughs> "Oh, so you don't watch anymore?" It's like, "Oh no, no, I went from six hours a day to four hours a day." <laughs> yes. I was like, "Yeah, you know, I'm I'm, I'm taking a step back, and I've been like, t- I've been having some like work life balance." Okay. So what have you been up to? Well, last week I flew to Kansas City and went to EYBL and was at the gym from 8 until 9 p.m. But trust me, no, no, we're coming back. That was, what, three days? Yes. So I flew in Thursday. So EYBL is four days. It's Thursday through Sunday. I flew in Thursday morning and left Saturday night, which is good because on Sunday night there was a, like, shooting at the restaurant I went to on Saturday night. So good thing I with my plans as, as such so yeah kansas city is a very strange place i tweeted about this the airport is like a complete mess the airport is like well it's like very small but it's also like has like 60 gates so i don't really know what's going on it was very eerie it kind of felt like an abandoned bus station it was just really strange vibes um the city was nice i had some barbecue uh it was very good i had this like burnt end sandwich q39 I, I don't know anyone, I don't think, from Kansas City, but, like, one person I know who apparently, like, lived, like, went to Mizzou, like, swept on my story, um, my Instagram story, and was like, oh, like, you know, like, you're in Kansas City? I said, yeah. I said, where's the good barbecue? He's like, oh, Q39. So we went to Q39 and had good barbecue. So shout out to him for the recommendation. Um, but yeah, I went to Kansas City. I watched a lot of UIBL. It was very good, very productive. Saw a lot of coaches, saw a lot of good players. Um I don't think 2023 is a very good class, like talent-wise. I think it's pretty down. I don't think 2024 is great either, but I don't know for sure. There is a lot of buzz about 2025, and the Boozer twins were not there um, that I'm aware of. Neither was Cooper Flag, but there is like a ton of excitement when you talk to people around college basketball, like coaches, about the 2025s. Like it could be a, you know. It, it could be a class like a Trey Young, Marvin Bagley, uh, DeAndre Ayton, uh, that level of, of class where you have multiple, you know, several max contract level guys, several. You know, really, that's, that's cool for the NBA draft people. But for college basketball, that doesn't make a huge difference. I think it, it I think it makes a difference around the margin of like the. It, college basketball is better if the one and done is Zion Williamson versus uh, Jabari Smith. Jabari Smith, yes. yes. And Jabari had a great year. I, I I was just thinking, like in terms of, okay, you're saying that the 2025 class is great and the 2024 class is down. How does that, um, how does that really translate to like the the four star, like the 75th ranked player? Right. I don't you know. know. It's it's way too early for 2025 to be make you know like guys right. like there's no, there's, I don't know who that kid is right like they're right I, I, I no was one actually does because they're not going to pop up until May of 2024 you know right. well I was talking to a, a mid major coach about this high mid major uh, program and we were just kind of talking through because they they had watched a lot of 16U and 15U 
this weekend instead of 17s. And they said one of the things that's challenging is there's a there's a kind of clear wave of players you see that are clearly high major dudes. Like you you see their body, you don't even have to watch them play a game. You're like, okay, that guy's gonna play at a high major. There's a kid, um, I think his name's Carter Bryant. He plays for Paul George Elite. Um, he's a 16, he's playing 16 UE IBL right now. Like, holy shit. Like, physically, like, holy shit. This kid looks unbelievable. Uh, Ron Harper Jr.'s uh, brother, uh, Dylan, same thing. Walk in the gym. Holy shit. That's, like, a super high major kid, right? Um, and you can, there, there's a certain level of kid at 16 UE and 15 UE. Okay, that's gonna, that kid's going to be a national recruit. That guy's going to be a national there's also a bunch of like, yeah, like that kid's probably a division one, like that kid's tracking to be a division one player, but like telling, okay, who are going to be like the priority, who, like who's going to be like a priority mid-major fringe high major recruit. It's impossible to know right now because the development curves are like different. Right. Like, like there's no one on like the development swing at like 15, like that kid's trending to play at uh, Fresno State. You know what I mean? Like exactly. it just doesn't, it doesn't work. Exactly. So, other than that, though, UIBL is very fun. Um, it's a, a, just an amazing basketball setting. I mean, the talent level, the, the teams are very you know, well coached for the most part. Um, the, the games are, are well played for the most part. I saw some of the best players in the country. Um, Gigi Jackson, in particular, I think was worth watching, particularly given the rumors. You know, Jamie Shaw from Op3 has reported that there's potential for him to reclassify to 2022. Uh, as well, and then play at South Carolina instead of going to North Carolina. South Carolina is Gigi Jackson's home school. It's probably 15 minutes away. Gigi's really talented. Uh, he's six foot ten, six foot eleven. Um, he can handle the ball. He can put the ball between his legs. Like he can, he's athletic. He can make shots, but he also can can play down low. He's a completely different player from when I saw him in April. I mean, he's definitely improved, gotten a lot better. Um, but he also is playing more four. In April, I saw him he played a lot of five, and he's kind of like an energy. He he was like his motor was running hot and cold, but like he was like a, a five with some pop ability. And then he was playing with a center. They have uh, Michael and and Woko, uh, who has played for Team Canada. Um, he's just another CP3 guy. He was playing more five than another guy who plays the five as well. Um, and he was like like Gigi was trying to be a guard, like every like grab and go, like try to take it 94 feet. You know, catch it on the perimeter, put it between his legs twice, try to take a step back, fade away. And like, if he goes to South Carolina with Michi Johnson and Abrima Diva and Hayden Brown and the this other cast of like mid-major level transfers, Benjamin Bosman's Verdant. Yeah, he's gonna get a bunch of those shots up, and they're gonna win 13 games. And he's not gonna be able to be coached because what's the leverage for Lamont Paris? And I, I don't, I don't mean to sound like down on Lamont Paris or whatever. Like I know we've said like we don't love the hire, but like. This would be like the least excited I am about like a top ten recruit going to a first year head coach. Like like think about it in a vacuum, right? Like if you just said first year head coach gets top ten recruit to stay home in his first class uh, over like big pro uh, over big pro North Carolina, you know, I think pretty much anyone wants them. You'd be like, holy shit, that's like earth shattering. And I actually think it's like going to be completely, um, if it happens, completely irrelevant. They're not going to win. They might win two more games with Gigi than they would without him. Uh, they're not going to play play in the postseason. Gigi is going to be good. He's going to be a first round pick. Everyone's going to move on. It it will it will be a drop in the bucket 
in terms of the, the grand scheme. But he's a very, you know, very talented player. I think going to be a better pro than college player. Because right now he he thinks he's like more skilled than Chet Holmgren, and he's less skilled than Chet Holmgren, like the way he plays. He's he's very much a big man. He he can play the four, but he is certainly a a, a post player, at least from watching him at U18s um, earlier this summer. And yeah, it, it was hilarious because when on three put out that article a couple of weeks ago, the comments were just littered with like "You're a troll. This is nonsense. You guys are idiots." And then about past maybe three, four days, all the crystal balls, all the predictions have flipped from North Carolina to South Carolina pretty much. I just checked earlier today. I think there were four or five that flipped on uh, 24-7. Uh, so this, this, this looks like it's happening, I'm sure. He played like U18 and was probably like, you know what? Why am I going back to high school? I'm good enough to play now. Um, and North Carolina doesn't have a scholarship, right? They're they're full because they just took Pete Nance. I think for next year, probably better to have Pete Nance than G. Absolutely, Jackson. Pete yeah. Nance is better, more more ready to contribute to winning. But As again, a twenty three year old who can step out and shoot and defend and and pass versus a reclassified seventeen or eighteen year old Gigi Jackson. Um, but for the, for, for South thing, Carolina, it's a no brainer. Gives yeah. you a little juice in year one. You know. I don't think either of us like hated the Lamont Paris hire. I mean, I kind of from from a from a concept. It was just he wasn't bringing in, bringing in anybody after he got the job. I I didn't think it was a good hire. I I I thought it was fine, but then we were looking at the roster. We we're joking. They're bringing in Bosman's Verdonk, and they're bringing uh-huh. in Michi Johnson. These guys that you know were not super successful in uh, in their high major stints in the Big Ten. Talent I level just never looked, thought he looked had pretty a bare. Yeah. I just think like NIL, sharks in the water, already at a place where it's gonna be harder to win. Uh you know, doesn't really have experience at a place like you know, like a like a like a SEC type job was at Wisconsin, so different. Chattanooga obviously won, but the, you know, it's a place where people win and it's not like he's been like not like he was a smash hit there, he kind of built it slow. I just never thought that there was any chance that Lamont would I, I didn't. I didn't think he had much of a chance to get done, and maybe I'll be perfectly wrong about that. Um, again, I think we'll we'll see. I, I think it's certainly, certainly it can't hurt. But I, if I was South Carolina, I'd rather have Gigi in 23. Obviously, you can get him in 22. You take him in 22. Um, you take him whenever you can get him. Um, I think the whole thing is weird because you know apparently his credits are like fine. Like he's going to be. He, it's not like he has to work to get to 20. You know, get 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 to be 2022. Like he's going to be fine academically and get in. It's like, so what was the whole point of committing to North Carolina? If North Carolina, like, like I would just love to know, like, the inside, thought, like, thinking on this, right? Like, was was it like, oh, Hubert will take you if we can't get anyone else to play the four? And once that happened, no. Like, once that happened, once we took Pete, he's like, okay, never mind. An hey, article it, that I read, once he committed, the the, the interviewer, I, I remember what, which outlet, outlet this was from, but the interviewer asked him if he was going to reclassify and he said no because he like studied up on it, and a lot of the reclassified guys failed. And he's right. going to take the year to work on. That it was stronger. right. That's what confused me. Was like yeah. I saw that stuff. So I don't know. It's it's all very kind of. I think it's probably. I guess it's probably one of those things where South Carolina was like, 
you're going to come, you're going to be home. You're going to be the best player on the team. You're going to get whatever shot you want. You're going to be a top 15 pick a year early. So you're going to get your money earlier. We're going to pay you like a first round pick in an IL this year, or at least like a late first round pick, get you like 70, you know, 750 a million bucks, whatever it takes, because we've got these local businesses and local people who are excited about you because you are who you are. Right. It's not about South Carolina is not going to have big NIL for every basketball recruit. You know, it's not Kentucky, but are, can they keep a kid like that home? I think there is an excitement level about it. And again, great for them. Gives the team some excitement. But I, I like if Anthony Edwards didn't work in Georgia with a better core, like I don't I don't see how this turns into anything other than like a 12 win team. And I think it's going to be bad for Gigi's development overall because any of the like 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 what he needs to do is learn how to be a professional learn how to be a big learn how to contribute to winning right like being the starting power forward in north carolina around four experienced guys would do that being the guy at you know carolina at south carolina like he's just gonna put up shots like he's gonna take three fadeaway jumpers a game he's never gonna take a fadeaway jumper in the nba well i mean if he joins a team that is veteran laden you know maybe his production slips and he right and he falls to the late first round. You know, I, I, I think this is, I think this is a good move for Gigi Jackson. It's definitely not going to be a home run because, as as we saw with Pat Baldwin, uh, if you go to a bad team to be the star and and you stink, that's going to totally transform how, how you're seen as a prospect. Now he's someone who can, his his pedigree, is that he's a, a knockdown shooter, Baldwin. Uh, and that's why the Warriors took a chance on him as a reclamation project at the end of the first round. Jackson, as as a big, who's going to have to play some some, some five and kind of show off a tighter skill set in the NBA than he will in South Carolina. I mean, who knows if this is going to be um, detrimental for his stock. We shall see. Who else did I see at EYBL that's worth mentioning before we move on to other topics? Um I saw Jer- uh, Jerry McCain for one game, and then he left or was somewhere. I don't know what happened. He was just not there, like, the second day or the third. It's the second full day. I uh, saw so Jerry McCain. Um, he's a good player. He shoots it well. I think he'll be a nice piece. I saw Caleb Foster is also going to do. Um, he didn't wow me. Like, to, Caleb Foster very much looked to me like a multi-year college player. Like, you saw like, this, this clearly a high-major player. He played for Team Thad. Team Thad and uh, Pro Skills played a really exciting game uh, that was decided by a four-point play with seven seconds to go. Um, and Caleb Foster was good. I, I just didn't see, like, oh, my gosh, this guy's incredible. Um, the, the New Jersey Scholars, who are a team with quite a bit of attention um, because they have D.J. Wagner, did not have D.J. this weekend. So they were a little bit more vulnerable. But they still have Mackenzie Mbako, who's going to Duke. I think there's a little bit of Jason Tatum there. He's not quite as good with the ball yet, but he's like that smooth, long athlete with a high release, a good, you know, good touch. I think he has a chance to be the best player in the class, particularly if GG reclassifies. I mean, I like GG. I just don't love him. I don't love the archetype of the big who thinks they're a better guard or thinks they're a guard, uh, which was one of the things that frustrated actually with uh, Aaron Bradshaw, who also plays for the Scholars. He's a Top 25 recruit considering uh, Kentucky and Louisville. Seven footer. Yes. Seven, unbelievably long, great tools. But he's like catching the ball on the perimeter. And instead of just like dribbling into a DHO, he's like putting it on the floor twice and trying to shoot over the guy. 
Like you're never going to do this once in NBA. He has incredible tools. I like him. I think he could be, you know, could he be like a Mark Williams eventually? Yeah, but I don't think he's going to come in and be like, like if he, if he comes in and tries to shoot the shots he took in UIBL, like it's not going to be pretty. Um, I saw um, the Evans kid from the uh, uh, team Durant, who's super long at six foot ten. He looks the part. Isaiah Evans. No, no, no. Twenty twenty four. KJ. Oh, okay. Yes. Who I believe has crystal balls to Arizona. Yes. Yes. He is like looks like a million bucks. I mean, holy cow! Six foot ten, long arms. Good body. Skill level is only okay. Like, I thought you know, maybe a little bit more of a project, but really, really talented. You could tell that very obviously. Uh, Justin Edwards from Team Final. Uh, he's a top 10 recruit. Uh, someone I was watching a game with said he moves exactly like James Young, which I thought was an interesting comparison, especially against Kentucky's recruiting him. Um, he is that, like, big left, big long lefty. Um, kind of phased in and out of games in terms of his intensity level, um, but an interesting prospect without question. Um, the kid, the, the the top 20, 24 recruit in the country, it's Trey. It's not Trey Coleman. I'm blanking on the last name. Blanking on the last name. Plays for Team Griffin. I'm gonna get this right. I promise you all. Uh, just give me a uh, give me a second game. Trey Johnson. That's the one. He's very good. He's gonna be very very good. Uh, he's on the same team as a kid who just committed to Missouri, uh, Grant Pierce, who I thought was okay. Uh, but I do like the kid. They have a big man on that team, Brandon Garrison, who's going to Oklahoma State, who's very, very talented. He's great body. Um, he was on the U18 team as well. Yes, I like Brandon Garrison a lot. But that uh, Trey Johnson kid is going to be special in 2024. Um, anyone else that I feel like I need to mention? I saw like TJ Power for the ABC, but that game that he played wasn't very it wasn't very competitive. So I, I guess he shot the take. lights out. He had like a forty point game this weekend. Yeah, I missed that one, so I wasn't there. Um, I like the kid. I, uh, Simeon Wilcher didn't really do it for me. He's like just okay. I thought that like Kayvon Mulready, who's a twenty twenty four for the City Rocks, and um, Elijah Gertrude, who just got a Syracuse offer. Uh, the, he's those are better probably prospects right now, um, <clears throat> but Wilshire is certainly highly regarded. Dusty Stromer from Team Why Not is like Kispert. I think you mentioned him in April. I saw him. Uh, he's he's going to, to the Zags too. Yes, he is. Yes, he's old already, so I don't know how much that weighs into your thinking or evaluating. But I thought he was pretty good. Um, I'm trying to think if there's anyone else that I saw that like I had like a pretty strong opinion about. Um, I didn't love Omaha Baloo. Okay. He has crystal balls to Iowa State. He strikes me as sort of a... Five-star. Like Stan... Yes, five-star recruit. Sort of like a Stanley Johnson. It's a bigger body. But, like, one of those guys where his skill level... Like, at every level, he's able to overcome his skill level by his physical gifts. And eventually, that's going to... Like, he's going to run into a wall. And uh, I don't know if that level will be college or the NBA, but he's going to run into the wall somewhere. Hmm. So he's like, again, I, I don't mean to be like too critical. I think he'll be a fine recruit, but I didn't think he was like, I wasn't like overwhelmed. I didn't see Mookie Cook play. 
I saw Matas Buzelis uh, in April, but I didn't go to see him. Um, Robert Dillingham is fun to watch. Like I still love watching him play. He's very explosive with the ball in his hands. Very exciting player. Um, who else? Anyone else that I saw that I was well, I wanted to mention? Just scrolling through the rankings here. Um, there's a kid from Team Hero who's like between uh, Milan Momchilovic. Yes. Who is apparently gonna go? Like he's he's like it's like Iowa State, UCLA, uh, and uh, what was the other? What was the last school? He, he has crystal ball Virginia. action at Iowa State. He does. Virginia was also recruiting him. Um, he just got a crystal ball at Iowa State from the Iowa State expert. He kind of strikes me as like an Iowa State level player. I don't buy him as a top forty recruit, um, really at all. But I think he'll be like a good like multiple year contributor at some point he's big and can stretch it. I didn't see much of Layden blocker or Scotty Milton. The little I did see was good, but I don't have, I didn't watch enough of the Brad Beal game to say the one kid I really like is Wesley Gates uh, from Levon. Uh, he's a Texas kid. Um, he's uh, Auburn's recruiting him. He would be like Isaac Okoro, but with more point guard skills, like a big kind of, unique body kid but he can play downhill defend pass make shots he's really talented i think he should be a five star uh and i think that's everything i would did you see any uh, psa cardinals i did yes did did you like a uh muhammad giabate yes he was good uh kind of kind of like three yeah three four Probably more of a four. Oh, one more kid. Dog. Yes, definitely junkyard dog type. One more kid I actually like quite a bit is uh, the kid Caleb Glenn going to Louisville. I thought he was better than his ranking. Very productive. He was playing for Indy Heat. Indy Heat was without Jeremy Fears, their point guard, uh, who's really, really good because he was with USA. Um, And Caleb Glenn kept them in games. We mentioned Justin Edwards earlier. He just got a future cast pick for Kentucky. Yep. Should be Sounds decided right. soon. Sounds about right. And I will and see Under Armour kids in New York to LA in two weekends. And also, Dewan Wagner. Everyone said Louisville. They hired his grandfather. Um, Crystal Balls and future cast are all flooding in now for Kentucky. Yeah, we should actually talk about this before we move on. Um, I thought maybe because Louisville has no guards, maybe this was the ace up their sleeve. They were going to reclass him. But now it's uh, looking like it's swung to the other school. Yeah, so, 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 so this recruitment battle obviously means quite a bit for both programs. But I think without question, it means more for Louisville than it does for Kentucky. Both because Kentucky will get other recruits and has Robert Dillingham already, and because... Louisville has hired a staff member to get him, hired Kenny Payne, at least in part, because it should give them an in, in with, with, with DJ and with World Wide West. Um, like, <clears throat> this kid is really good. I mean, he's the number one player in the class. And I, I kind of feel like all of the misgivings or the struggles in recruiting that Louisville's had without filling guard spots this spring. It's kind of been covered up by the fact, okay, well, they're probably going to get DJ, right? They hired Nolan Smith. They hired Milt Wagner. This is going to get – they're going to get DJ Wagner. 
And this that's going to be the centerpiece. That's going to be the thing that Kenny Payne builds around for the future. If they lose this recruiting battle, especially if they lose it now, they lose it in July, they lose it in August. Kenny Payne, I'm not, he's not going to feel the heat, but like there's going to be attention there, right? Like it's going to be like there, there's going to like the fan base will already be like, what, like what the hell? Like what are we doing? If they lose this kid to Kentucky to the home to the in-state rival, and they go into this year not very good because they don't have they don't have anybody in the backcourt, what do you do? Right, like the the percent, like they're gonna have to go make some moves in 23. They're gonna have to find another kid who's really good who wants to come. I like Caleb Glenn. I think he could be a top 30 to 40 recruit in the class going to Louisville already. But man, like like if they they might get Aaron Bradshaw. Like they're they're gonna recruit fine, but Kenny Payne better get some dudes quick if they miss DJ White because otherwise he's gonna hear about it. He's gonna hear about it either way. Right. He's not he's not feeling heat in terms of right job job prospects, you know, getting fired or anything, but I'm sure that the, the message boards will be on fire. Oh I mean God, they already are, I'm sure. I mean, they must have started practice by now. How are they practicing with only Albert Ellis at guard like who, well, they who's have, on what team here? Who's on the other team playing Albert Ellis? Percy Miller. The walk on? <laughs> um, the walk-on I mean, Kumari Lands and Jalen Withers and JJ Trainer and Devin Ree and Roosevelt Wheeler. They got like four bigs, five like bigs. Yeah, I, I have them starting Withers. I have them starting Withers, Huntley, Hatfield, and Curry, which feels like a really bad idea. Yeah, I mean they they need like four spots. Two or three I mean, who are we holding them for? Yeah, they have four I, spots I, I, open. They need three guards. I imagine yards. there's an international kid coming, right? There's got to be, right? There's got to be like a U20 kid that's going to commit in like two weeks. Yeah, there was there was a kid who visited a few weeks ago who I saw Jake Weingarten tweeted that he committed and then deleted the tweet and said, oh, no, he's keeping his options open. But um, it was a 2023, I think, who would have to reclass. But he, he was like a big combo guard. Well, we just need some bodies here. Yeah, you know, what what do these practices look like? They're just doing drills all the time. Just that, uh, that was like before UConn got uh, drill, Joey Calcaterra. Yeah, Joey uh, Calcaterra. You know, bo- before they landed him, I was like, what's the second unit in practice looking like? But Louisville's is, I mean, even crazy. But I'm sure we don't have to tell tell Louisville fans that. I'm sure that they've been. They're probably, they're probably their turned off months. the podcast, pissed off, yeah. yeah. Sorry, Louisville fans. Yeah, like, what are we doing? Can, can we can we just send, like, Jaden Shoot and, uh... We'll send, like, Jaden Shoot, Breon Pass... Hunter Salas. Hunter Salas. I'm just going through the ACC. Yeah. Uh, we'll send, uh, like, Leon Bond. You know, what is he sitting around for? Even, like, Makai Mason. He, he's objectively better than their current alternative of nobody. Am I? Am I? Is my brain not working, or is Makai Mason the kid who was at Yale like seven years ago? <laughs> Mason Madsen. <laughs> Jesus, he scared me, man. I was like, what? Like, what? Who is this Makai Mason? I'm like, I'm like racking my brain. I'm going through the different spellings of Makai. 
No, like, I got nothing here. No, I got Mackay Ashton Langford. Confused, <laughs> yeah. Incredible. Mason Madsen. Mason Madsen. Yeah, that was a reach two, by BC. Yeah, shooting guard from Cincinnati who played like 10 minutes. Donald Hand, come on down. Let's yeah. go. You're the backup point guard. Chaz Kelly. Let's go. Uh, wild times. Wild times. Um, oh, this is completely random, but I meant to ask you. Is uh, Jordan McCabe still on UNLV? In this week's episode uh, of podcast segments that could have been a text, I have Jordan McCabe on my spot on my chart. So yes, I believe okay. so. Moving on. Um, what else did we want to hit on here? Uh, we do, we need we should touch on uh, Amani Bates, which we didn't get to. This feels like old news at this point, but it's only been like a week and a half, I think. Uh, maybe two weeks. Amani Bates is going to Eastern Michigan, which is cool i guess i mean like like my reaction was this i mean shrug trick your shoulders right i mean first off obviously amani had very clear like ideas in mind or amani's camp i don't want to like label as all as amani himself obviously there's many people at play in this recruitment namely his dad elgin um but i think i think it's obvious when you see where this all ends up and the length of time that this process took that they were looking for something very specific in terms of role um because there were high major teams that were interested in the right situation. And those high major schools did not land him, Eastern Michigan. So Amani Bates clearly wants to have the ball in his hands. He wants to put up points. He want, It's probably helped the fact that Stan Heath has coached high major in the past. He's the head coach of Eastern Michigan, for those that aren't aware. He was at South Florida. Um, he won the G League championship with the Lakeland Magic in the G League bubble. So... Um, you know, like a, a guy who has some experience with pros. But still, I mean, this is, all right, Amani's going to go do whatever he wants and shoot however much he wants. And it's probably going to be okay because it's the Mac, but we don't know for sure. And it's going to make him interesting. The fellow kind of former mixtape sensation, Noah Farrakhan on that team, averaged 16 points a game there. Uh, Legend Jeter. Griggs, huh? Legend Jeter. Legend Jeter. They have, like, actually, a, a, like, like, a, I've seen people like, oh, Amani surrounding himself with no talent. They're going to suck. I don't think that's at all, like, fair. Like, I actually think the rosters was, was trending to be okay even before. Um, I don't think it's, like, an amazing roster, but it's not bad. Like like you said, Legend Jeter is, like, a high three-star recruit or mid-three-star recruit who was going to go to – who went to Providence for one year and was, like, a you know contributor at the at a high level. Uh, they took Tyson Acuff. From Duquesne, who's a good like scoring combo. Um, they also took Jalen Billingsley from. He's not bad. Yeah, from Georgetown, who's not bad. Uh, they have Colin Volson, who was like a ten and five guy this year. He's as a as a sophomore. He came in from Siena. Uh, I saw him play again. Another guy who's not bad. He's like, good enough to play at this level. So this team is not bad, but it's still going to be the Amani ship. And is that a good thing for Amani Bates? I don't think so. It's not for me to decide, but I don't think so. I think someone will uh, take a shot on him, especially with all the success of these kind of like bigger ball handling wings. Right? Like you look at Zaire Williams, where people were wringing their hands about why is, why is he being drafted so high? And then he's in a playoff rotation. He, well, he, he bought into his role, too. Uh, we'll see if Amani can do that. Um, 
But I think just the, the scarcity of the big playmaking wing, I think playing in Amani's favor, and he'll be able to work out some some kinks, hopefully, Eastern Michigan. And hopefully he does what he hasn't done before and kind of tone down the crazy shot taking. But um, really, I mean, this this could go really Patrick Baldwin, where you're just out of sight, out of mind, and every couple months you're like, oh, how's, how's Patrick Baldwin doing at uh, Mil- Milwaukee? And you, oh, geez, he's... he's He's still out. You know, I I don't know if we're going to be even remembering that we're supposed to care about Imani Bates when we're in you know the, the middle of January. Well, the other the other thing, well, I will say that the Mac gets decent TV coverage. Like he'll be on T like CBS Sports on Friday nights. Like he'll play. That's he'll true. get on TV. Yeah. But I think the thing that's weird about it too is like you're going to a spot where you're going to be expected to score 16 points a game, right? Like Imani can go there, score 16 points a game, and it won't matter. Right? Like he needs to show something. He needs to be efficient. He needs to make others better. He needs to win. Like like him scoring the ball is not gonna you know, like unless he averages twenty three a night, which again he could do. Like puts up shots, he gets up points. But he needs to average like twenty plus a night for it to like move the needle NBA wise, unless he's doing other shit. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I I think that's the tricky thing in this because the whole thing is like he needs to show he can win, right? Like. The ideal situation in my mind for Monty Bates would have been a place where they needed some shot making, but had a good coach and a stable roster around them. I've been banging the drum for Clemson, you know, the whole time. Yeah, I mean, I'm not like, oh my God, it's got to be Clemson, but like, like what about Wake Forest? I mean, e- even Louisville. I I I know that it was reported that. All, all of his high major offers dried up. That's what I think the uh, Gary Parish on CBS said. You know what? What, what a lot but of they these... dried up. They dried up two directionally. They dried up once they heard what Amani's vision was for his role or right. his vision, right? It, it wasn't. You know, we don't think he's good enough, right? Obviously, he's good enough. And I think like, that's, he's not worth it. Yeah, right, he's not worth. And and I, I think I've said this on the podcast. Like the tricky spot with Amani was you needed a team that was or a team and a coach that was desperate enough to deal with the Amani show. But you needed that team slash coach to be a good situation for Amani to play in at the same time. Like like finding that match is really freaking hard. Right? Like maybe Pitt would have been desperate before DR Johnson. I think I mentioned that on one of the podcasts. You take take him. But is playing for Jeff Capel on a team with like no shooting the stable situation? No, you know. Same thing here. Like does Wake, you know, like I said, you know, maybe maybe does Wake Forest really want to deal with the Amani Bates show? They could use the talent. You could plug him in instead of Andrew Carr and, or or Damari Monsanto. But does Steve Forbes want to deal with that? You know, like it's it's very tricky. So good luck to him. I hope. I hope it works out well for him. I do not – I think there has been a lot of um, – I think there's been a lot of, like, hate towards Imani that's directed mostly – that really should be directed towards the people who made Imani into something he never was. He never was, like, Kevin Durant. He never was he – he was a very good 15U player, but he was never like, – like, the hype that was heaped onto him, by my publication included – was not fair to Amani Bates' development. 
And I hope that he's able to shed that because there's a lot of people rooting for him to fail because people thought he would be good when he was 15. And that's that's not fair to the kid, but also tough shit. It's college basketball. That's big business. So Yeah, and I think I watched one Milwaukee game this year and now Baldwin was hurt for for most of the season. But I envision myself watching at least a handful of Eastern Michigan games this year. I watched uh I watched, I watched play more Milwaukee games, but I don't think I actually watched a Milwaukee game that he played. I wa- oh, oh, maybe he didn't play the game I watched. I, I know that I watched – no, no, I, he, he must have played. I watched him play Colorado on like the Pac-12 network I early season. The, I faded the crap out of Milwaukee like all the time this year when I was gambling. I was a well, monster. I made so much money off of them being bad. Well, remember when he committed to Milwaukee, we said, why are you committing so late? There's yes. no no roster to build around you. Correct. And At they least Eastern Michigan got, got like a reasonable amount of transfer talent in. Now, if they had Imani Bates on April 1st, they would probably, uh, shouldn't say that, maybe better players wouldn't want to play with, with, Imani with Bates. Bates. But that, was, that was the Memphis problem. You never know. <laughs> Yes, but no, theoretically, Pat Baldwin, like Pat Baldwin Jr. getting surrounded with Legend Jeter and Jalen Billingsley and uh, Tyson Acuff and Noah Farrakhan would have been a far better situation than Samba Kane and uh, a really bad player who's going to DeAndre Golston. Uh, Missouri. Yeah, yeah, he's not good. He's bad. So that's that. Uh, we also have realignment news to hit on. I don't want to do too, too much on this because... Quite honestly, it's mostly speculation and built on things that I've read, and I don't think that anyone needs mindless speculation, although one would counter by saying that there's an entire multi or hundred plus million dollar industry of podcasting that's built upon uh, white guys lobbing around opinions, and here we are. So uh, realignment, uh, Big Ten, uh, UCLA, USC are there officially. This happened, again, week, 10 days ago at this point. Um, so bear with us here from a pure college basketball standpoint, obviously the bigger questions are the longer term trickle down effects, but just the isolated, okay, Pac-12 loses these two schools, Big Ten gains these two schools, Brad, what's your thoughts on that? And then we could kind of talk about the, the longer term trickle down that this could create. So it's, 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 tough for me to speculate because I don't know anything about football. I do know enough from what I've heard, tweeted, and you know, seen, seen tweeted and whatever that UCLA and USC were also two of the best, if not the two best, football brands in the Pac-12. That's correct. Two of the three, probably, yeah, Oregon. With Oregon. Um, and basketball-wise, they're certainly, in, in recent years, They've been two of the top four teams, um, maybe even two of the top two in the past couple of years, right? But, um, I mean, Arizona for basketball, too, but I, I know their, their football isn't, isn't there. But the Big Ten is where the money is, so they're getting two big brands. going to be a coast-to-coast league. Um, really... Gives me hope that maybe the Big East could add Gonzaga now that there's a conference spanning from Rutgers to UCLA and even the WAC going from Seattle down to like the bottom of Texas. 
um, and, that, and that being like a mid to low major league. I, so I think I'm I'm really hopeful that we don't get a ton more movement among the Big Ten and SEC. I hope they kind of stand pat um, because you, you you can never be real real certain where your school and where the the, the fate of college basketball hangs in the balance of these football decisions. So so a few things here. Number one, um, regarding the Big East and Gonzaga. Do I think this move has a chance to reignite conversation to the presidential level whether the Big East would sign on with Gonzaga? Yes, I absolutely think it could. Um, but I also think um, at the same time, one should consider the fact that the way that UCLA and USC are going to pay for all of this travel and all this, you know, kind of inconvenience is the fact that they're not going to be getting $100 million a year in TV money. The Big, the big East makes like $5 million, if I've read correctly, in TV money. Now, they'll probably get more in the next TV deal because rights have increased. They could get more even if they got Gonzaga. But, like, even if the Big East got $20 million a school, which I'm pretty sure is like an insane number. Like that's not that's not like what's going to happen. But even if they got twenty million, you're still at one fifth of what the football conferences are, are are making, right? So the financial structure of okay, we're gonna have Seton Hall baseball go play in Spokane are like way worse than that's we're why going this to is have. so dumb because it should only be the sports that matter. You shouldn't but be sending. You know, all these non-revenue sports and you know, baseball might be a revenue. I'm, I'm it's not, not sure. I think it is not a Gonzaga or Seton Hall. Right, but they should be playing locally. Like Providence should be in the same league within within reason. I mean, like you can make your own league for baseball and just. I mean, Providence doesn't have baseball, but for like field hockey or something, well, you, know, well, you could well, take like the top ten reasonably similar field hockey teams from Maine down to Washington, D.C. and make a league. Well, I do think that there's something to be said about, like, schools having some, like, conference rivals that they play in every sport, right? Like, I think that, I think there's something valuable to that. I think the thing that you're illustrating, though, Brad, that's really, like, interesting, and I think we will get to this schism at some point, sooner rather than later, really, is, like, at what point do we just say football, we'll sell the football TV rights separately, right? Like, if you're just going to say, okay, there's 50 football, there are 50 schools that operate in a different lane in football than everyone else. They want to pay their players. They want to do this. They, they they want to package the TV rights and basically have the NFL, but in college. Let's do that. But why do we need, you know, North Carolina to be in the Big Ten but Duke get left behind because they're not serious enough about football. So Duke becomes like a big East school, but then plays independent football. Like this is stupid. And I think North Carolina and Duke actually are, are, are the brands that have the potential to spark this conversation. Just because I think if you were to lose this rivalry, if you were to lose this rivalry, I think it would create a lot of conversation, right? I think it would, it would make people wonder what we're really doing here. But like at, at the end of the day, I think it fully makes sense for football, right? There's so much resources. You're playing once a week. And I talked to a couple of coaches about this. At, you know, I, I talked to SEC coaches and I talked to mid-major coaches who are both kind of similarly concerned about what we're doing. And 
like, yeah, you know, it, it's easy to play football. Like, we need to play. Like, if, if Northwestern's going to play football at UCLA one weekend, it's really not that huge of an inconvenience. But Northwestern baseball playing at UCLA is a weird, really weird thing. Northwestern field hockey playing versus UCLA is an awkward trip. Northwestern or UCLA basketball having to come to the Midwest and fly and play like three different cities in seven days is a weird thing. It's hard. Right, so, even if you're getting $100 million or $100 billion, it doesn't mean it makes sense to spend 50 times more on travel or whatever it is. You can still have your 100 million, do your one football trip or your three basketball trips, and then instead of sending field hockey from UCLA to Rutgers, you send it from UCLA to San Diego State. Right. Well, and that's that's what I'm <clears throat> that's what I'm saying. Like, at some point, the football rights are worth the whole TV contract. Like I said, the big. You're, you're talking about some, something like a five or a 10x multiple difference between the SEC and Big Ten TV contracts in the Big East once the Big East gets its new contract, even if everything breaks right for them. If that's the case, then like what, you know, what, what in the world are we doing? Why don't we just pack football rights separately? That'll be the whole money, right? If North Carolina wants to play football against, or you know, if North Carolina wants to play football against Ohio State, then let's let them do that. If Miami wants to play football against Alabama, let's let them do that. But we should just make these conferences feel logical because what's going to end up happening with the kind of super conferences is, okay, you know, we've got 25 SEC schools and 25 Big Ten schools, and we're going to group them into two leagues of 12. And oh boy, would you look at that. The 12 Big Ten Penn schools look a lot like the old Big Ten. And the old, old the, the other 12 Big Ten schools look a lot like the old Pac-12. This is crazy. What are we doing? You know, it's like, like it just doesn't it, uh, it doesn't really add up. So again, I understand why this happens. I hope I don't even have an issue with it necessarily for football. I do think that in the near term we're not going to have a ton of movement. That's this is my like boss take on all of this. I don't actually think that there's going to be like a massive move in the next few months. I think Notre Dame's going to stay put. If Notre Dame stays put, the Big Ten doesn't need to take Oregon and Washington. If Oregon and Washington aren't moving then the Pac-12 can stay intact. The only thing that could disrupt that would be if the four corner schools, as they're known in the Pac-12, the Arizona schools, Colorado, and Utah, decide, okay, there's more stability for us. We just go to the Big 12s, and we're not waiting for Washington and Oregon to leave us, and all of a sudden us be screwed. So the offer's on the table now. We want to take the offer, get out of town, and the others can vent themselves. Now, that would create a very tricky situation. So that that that's one reason why I think it's going to be stable, and the other reason I think it'll be stable is um, the ACC's grant of rights. I'm not an expert on this stuff, but please read people who are smarter than me: Ross Dellinger, Pat Forty, uh, Pete Thamel, uh, Adam Rittenberg. Uh, there are many others that I'm not remembering, but you know, Sports Illustrated does a tremendous job with this coverage. The Athletic ASPN obviously do, do do good work as well. Um, read their stuff. There's good examples, good explainers as to the costs and the legal battle it would take to get out of a grant of rights that goes through 2036. And the short answer is that it would not be easy. And for that reason, I think we are going to have these two 16-team leagues that are much more powerful than the others for the next few years. And then once the others fall behind, right, once it's obvious that Clemson is not going to compete for a college football championship because they're making $30 million and everyone else is making 100 or they're making $40 million and everyone else is making 100 then you get the next wave of movement. That happens in 2025, 2027, and I think we deal with that then. But for now, I think we're going to have these two 16-team conferences. We're going to have a Pac-10. 
we're gonna have a big big 12 that's actually 12 teams and uh we're gonna have some semblance of stability at least for the next couple of years so i'm gonna pepper you with some questions here go ahead why wouldn't the big 10 want oregon so essentially once you get to the value that the big 10 is at you know let's say it's a hundred million dollars per school per year so oregon's not a big enough brand that they're adding to, to the tv deal no one is other than notre dame no one actually adds to it so so you'd you, you would have to cut the pie a little bit more and that right. might be okay you might say okay 95 you have if, if it's cutting five million per school out or notre or oregon saying we're so desperate in the big 10 we'll do it for you know fifth you know 60 million a year better than the pac-12 Maybe that happens, but it, it's not a big enough brand where it adds value. I, I also think if UCLA and USC wanted more West Coast members in the Big Ten, they would have just negotiated it early, right? Yeah. Like, it wouldn't have been that hard to add Oregon and Washington to this coup. They didn't. I think that tells you something. But the short answer is it doesn't actually make more money. Like, they won't actually make more money at this point. Even though, again, that sounds it, it sounds absurd. Like Northwestern is currently worth 100 million, but Oregon wouldn't be because it's not right. Northwestern is not like the, the TV markets gained by Oregon aren't like substantially gigantic. Uh, Northwestern obviously is not the one that drives the Chicago market, but you're not kicking teams out of conferences. Now, could the, if, if you were ruthlessly kicking people out, could you say, OK, well, it's like boot Northwestern and boot, you know, Purdue and we'll take uh you know, Oregon and Washington, maybe, but we're not there yet, so. Right, because we established you wouldn't kick a team out because that's a dangerous precedent where the schools kicking one team out in a couple of years could be a, a team getting getting kicked out if their fortunes changed. Correct. All right, question number two. You mentioned the Four Corners Pac-12 schools yes. could go to the Big 12 for more stability. Yes. Do we currently know the difference in TV value between the Pac-12 and the Big 12? I thought the Pac-12 like notoriously screwed themselves on a terrible TV deal. So the Pac-12's TV deal is up in 2025, or 2024, excuse me. That is why the timing works out for UCLA and USC to join. We don't know exactly what the number will be. We also don't know exactly what the Big 12's number will be because they haven't signed a TV deal without Texas and Oklahoma. Their parents price ends in 2025. So the expectation right now is it would be similar money, potentially a little bit better for the Big 12, um, but not a huge amount different either way is what I've read. Question number three, staying out west. So will the Pac-12 add Boise State and San Diego State? It could. But are those not big enough brands? So so that's the question, right? But like are Houston Boise State and, and San Diego State are not going to add $30 million each in incremental value. So are you going to trim, you know, are you are, are you going to cut up the pie more? Probably not because everyone's short on money. You'd probably just stick with the 10 for now, try to survive the period of time. And then if you needed teams for, you know, inventory down the line, you could always add them. That was so, yeah, so why would it, why did the Big 12 add Houston and well, I guess Central Florida is like the second biggest school in the country, right? So they have a lot of alums and they're in my, and they're in Orlando. That, so that's the big, so the reason for Big 12 expansion was stability. The Big 12 had eight teams. Right. 
they said we can add four quality programs and get into new markets. We'll get into Florida with UCF. We'll get into the Midwest with Cincinnati. And Cincinnati's in the playoff this past year in football, one of the four best teams in the country. UCF has been a top 10 football school uh, recently. Uh, we'll take BYU, who's also been a, had, had a, I believe, an undefeated season or something very close to that under Kalani Sitaki. Um, there, and you'll get out sort of out west. And then you'll have Houston, which is a brand that's backed by big, big money, uh, thanks to uh, Tillman Fertitta. And obviously, he's had success in both men's basketball and football. So that's that they needed the stability. Now, did they divide the pot too much? Maybe, but they also needed inventory. They needed a certain number of games to put on the air to make $30 million a year. Type thing. Gotcha. From an outside perspective, it feels like adding Cincinnati and Houston may have diluted the pie too much, but it's, that's, that's a quibble. Because you figure BYU, I mean, they have a whole religion that is like devoted follow. They like give their lives. They don't drink soda. They, they're like all in on BYU. So it's all tricky though, right? So it depends on what you're looking for. In 2010, the biggest thing that was looked for was media markets, right? Could you get into big markets because everyone was trying to build networks, right? Right. It was, everyone's going to build their own TV network, just like the big 10 network, the SEC network. And you want to have that spread into as many households because that makes you money on each household. Now it's not really that. It's more about like quality inventory that ESPN can sell, especially the Big 12 doesn't have Big 12 network. They have Big 12 now on ESPN+. Plus. So there might be more value in BYU now than it would have been 10 years ago because Provo is not really a market. Salt Lake City, I guess, is. But you're not getting like a huge market, but what you are getting is like a devoted, passionate fan base that will pay for product. Right, that 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 would be the, the idea. Yes. So now you mentioned that you didn't think Notre Dame was going to go to the Big Ten. Not in the immediate future, no. So, but how is their t- their exclusive independent football TV deal with NBC? How does that give them more money? It doesn't. Than a hundred million a year at Big Ten. It doesn't. So but Notre Dame, I encourage you. I encourage anyone curious about this to read Pat Forty's article about Notre Dame. Notre Dame essentially has always kind of like acted holier than thou, kind of purer than everyone else. And so the idea, like they have enough money because they have massive donors, right? They have very rich people who give, you know, give a shit about the programs and want the thing to be successful. Notre Dame is not hurting for money. They're also not <clears throat> investing quite the same in terms of salaries. And that's one of the reasons they lost their football coach to LSU. Um, they're not quite as invested financially as some of the biggest brands are. So they would prefer the flexibility and the kind of branding of we're independent. We do our own thing. Um, we operate our way if they can hold on. To it. And as long as the college football playoff doesn't change substantially, which it very well may, but it hasn't yet. They can just kind of say, we're making, we have enough money. We don't need to be in the league. Now, again, if leagues fall apart and they need it for scheduling or they need to get in the playoff, then the Big Ten becomes an obvious choice and they become an easy kind of match into that. I just Googled and I, the number I'm getting is that they make $15 million per year for football. Notre Dame? Yes. I mean, don't they have 
like a fiduciary responsibility to take the $100 million deal to who? and like pay their coaches a little bit more. But they're not a bank. Yeah, they have, have shareholders. And their boosters pay for things. I mean, I, I've never been in a CEO or president type of role in my brief life here. Uh, but I imagine 100 million versus 15 million in flexibility. I think you take the 100 million. Just just a thought, but I can't Nothing even like, wrap this. my head around that. Yes. Well, I like, get it. They, I think they'll be in the Big Ten just because of math. So what were you saying earlier? You, you thought that if Notre Dame goes to the Big Ten, then the Big Ten would add Oregon to even it up? If that if they take Notre Dame, then there's going to be a run on other schools, particularly if it takes some time. They could just add Notre Dame and sit pat for a little bit. Again, waiting out the ACC grant of rights. But they could just take Oregon and Washington and then like one more. They could also take like they could try to go get Virginia and North Carolina while the SEC takes Miami and Clemson and Florida State, there's all this, you know, it, it's all very tricky. You could also, like, try to pair it and do Notre Dame and Stanford and have two private schools who are an existing rival that play each other regularly in football. Um, Stanford and North, it would fill, continue to add the academic thing where the Big Ten could keep its academic vision with Notre Dame and Northwestern and Stanford. That USC and UCLA are tremendous schools, obviously, as well. So that could be something. There's all sorts of little games. Excuse me, that you could play, but I don't think that there's any upside in the Big Ten bringing in the other two West Coast schools without knowing what's happening with Notre Dame. Let's put it that way. Because why would you divide the pie more without right? If Oregon and Washington aren't growing the pie at all, why not just stay at 17 with Notre Dame? Well, at some point you're just going to want to consolidate, especially if the opposing league is going to add more teams. But why would you do that if it's not growing your pie? Right? Like the Big Ten deal isn't any more vulnerable because you want the SEC adds Clemson and Florida State. So so think about it this way. It's also going to be an arms race because the SEC and the Big Ten could be competing for the championship every year. It could be like the AFC and the NFC in football where the winner plays in the Super Bowl. Right? So you'd want good brands, right? You'd want teams to have a chance to win. You'd also want like a somewhat even amount of teams, right? You wouldn't want the SEC to say, okay, well, we'll take Oregon, we'll take Washington, we'll take X team, we'll take X team, fill up to 24, and then have you know have a better group to to try to go build like the best team to win a championship. With. That I think would be the concern, right? If you, if Notre Dame domino falls, then the thought process is that a lot of other dominoes will fall. If Notre Dame doesn't fall, or or if Notre Dame falls and nothing else falls, then you could leave Oregon and Washington alone. But if Notre Dame falls and other dominoes start to fall, you're just going to want to say Oregon's a great football brand. We're taking Oregon. And so, yeah, I guess the more teams you have, literally the more chances you get to be in the college football playoff. From a team success standpoint, it would be very 
detrimental for Oregon to join the Big Ten, right? But 100, as I was saying with, with the Notre Dame uh, thing, is math. You take the hundred million. It's also like a relevance factor, right? At some point, yeah. like if you, you want to, if your program's expectation is you can compete for championships, if you're in a league where you're never going to have a chance, you have to go to the other league and try to keep investing. Like Phil Knight has more money than God. Like he could make up the difference in money while you're at in the Pac-12. But if you're the only Oregon team that, if you're the only team that's relevant in the league, you become Gonzaga in the WCC without an automatic bid. You know. Right. So. Um. And, and there is a level in basketball where that matters, where, like, Mercer was, like, doing re- really well in the A-Sun, and they go to the Sun Belt, and there's kind of whatever in the, in the middle, or, or, or the SoCon, or whoever one they're in. Um, New Mexico State, we'll see if they made the same error going from the WAC to Conference USA or, or whatever league they're in now. Um, but in, in, in football, yeah, I think that's not a one-to-one comparison. Speaking of realignment, did you see? <laughs> I re-tweeted this the other day, but there was this there's this account called like Message Board Takes or something, and they found a post from a Xavier Message Board where, the, where this guy was like, "Hey, do you think it'd be a good idea for the Big East to add Simon Fraser University, expand into Canada?" So the TV markets, man. Yeah, yeah. So what do you think that would do for the the, the TV deal? A travel partner with Gonzaga. How about this? Yeah. Let's do I don't it. actually know what it would do. I have no no understanding of that. It would do absolutely nothing. That's why the NBA is pissed whenever the Raptors are, like, good, because half those ratings don't count. Right? Like, if it's Raptors and Celtics, everyone viewing in Canada doesn't count towards ESPN's number. So they get less ad money. That's why the Raptors get, like, very few national TV games, even when they're good. I also would like to report that Brad has tweeted, like, five times since May 1st. He retweeted that, a couple episodes of the podcast. Uh, he retweeted something about Warner Brothers. He retweeted Garway Duel committing. And he retweeted Xavier Fan lost the Big East to expand it to Canada. What was the Warner Bros. thing? Was it my uh, beloved Raised by Wolves got canceled? Yeah, it's about Raised by Wolves. Yeah. Oh, my God. Don't I saw a rumor on Reddit. Someone posted on Reddit that their friend got hired to be a writer on season three of Raised by Wolves. Obviously, it was canceled at HBO Max. I'm, I'm praying it pops up at Apple. But everybody cross your fingers, please. Everything's very. This is this is very important stuff for Brad. His other, uh, Brad Brad for all I know has like another uh, another persona and like another podcast where he just talks about television shows. Honestly, it's probably your real calling. No, I I I love TV, maybe more than basketball at this point. Um, if if Providence was not good this year, I may have just stopped watching basketball today. Um, that's how painful the previous two and a half years of Providence was, and then the Mickey Mouse bubble last year. Um, So, I mean, Providence being good saved the podcast. But, I mean... Find a new partner. In terms of Raised by Wolves, I mean, that was, for me, in 2022, that was a top five show so far, and it got canceled because Warner Brothers was spending too much money. They got the Discovery CEO in. He's got to find... Like three billion dollars, because 
on these movies, they've just been like spending like drunk sailors. There was a story where I guess Clint Eastwood asked them to make a movie called Cry Macho, where he was like the star and the, the executive producer. And like they made it knowing that it was going to lose a ton of money. And when the new CEO came in, it was like, why would you make this movie if you knew going in you were going to lose like millions of dollars? And they said, well, because Clint, e- Clint Eastwood asked us to. So we did. <laughs> so now it sounds he- like an episode of Entourage. Yeah. So they're like, you have to cut $3 billion. So J.J. Abrams was, he signed this huge deal with HBO. Right. Hasn't Holy made really? anything this, so this far. Is, this guy, I think we're just pivoting this podcast. This yeah, yeah, we are. Hasn't made any show so far. He's, his big show, they're about to start working on it. They casted the lead and everything. It's called, like, Demi Mond. Came in, he said, okay, season one, I want a budget of $200 million, which is more than, like, any Game of Thrones budget. It was, like, twice as much as the Game of Thrones spinoff budget. They told him, like, get the fuck out of here, dude. We're not making this show for $200 million. So that, they've been slashing costs like crazy. And, and my Raised by Wolves was a victim. Well, pray for Brad. Pray for Race by Wolves. Um, we're like 120 days away from college basketball, though, Brad. Like, uh, you're going to have to get your show watching in now because sooner or later we're going to be cranking away. Uh, did you watch excited. any of the the, the uh, Baylor games? I did not. I saw highlights of Keontae George, but I was just not. No, no Cryer, no Flagler, and no obviously no JTT. Um, Keontae looks very good operating the ball screen. He was not that impressive in the one game I saw him play for IMG, um, but that was like a one a one off game. It was an NIBC game against Legacy Early or something, which is like not a good team, and he just didn't look like he wanted to be there. So perhaps I should reserve my judgment and say that the clips of him cooking against Canada and Italy are a good thing. I think that's all all we had um i, I mean we didn't mention uh to paul gets errol penn who you 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 told oh, me yes, it was pretty sure. good yes uh, i love errol penn after they fired Derek kellogg like in the middle of the summer replaced him immediately with Rob i was Spurs. also i was also told that errol penn like had no interest in coming back to college basketball like his whole plan was just to go pro and they fired the coach and he's like eh. like my get if that's true, my guess is what happened is like he just like didn't know that like there would be such a market for him, and then like as soon as there was like rumblings that they were finding the coach, like everyone just started like, trying to poach him. He's like, yeah. hold on, I should just like go into the portal. Like these schools are like want me. This sounds great. Like I could go to like a high major. And he'll be the starting foreman for DePaul, I guess. Yeah, assuming oh. that Tyon Grant Foster is not healthy, right. I've just been like assuming. Whenever someone has like a scary thing like that, like a, like an actual health issue, I just assume they're not going to play until they actually play. Right. Uh, so yeah, he could be the four. They've got an interesting backcourt with small guards: Jalen Terry, Umoja Gibson, Caleb Murphy, Zion Cruz, Zion Cruz as well. And then you have Nick on Jenda and Yoran I as gigantic forwards. Uh, and then Penn could play the four. Uh, you have Zion Cruz like a six-man type. You have Javon Johnson from Iowa State, who's like a glue guy wing. Philmon Jebrowit could also kind of play in there. They've got the Juco kid, KT Ramey. So. Yeah, you have Bynum, who redshirted last year, was top 100 recruit. Yes. So they, have a, they have a talented group, but 
Does it move the needle? I don't think so. I think it moves the needle over Georgetown. I think I, so. I think I, I think I might put Georgetown last again. I think Georgetown's still a little bit more talented, and I still think the Pat, there's a good chance Patrick Ewing's a better coach than Tony Stubblefield. I mean, what evidence do we have on that? What evidence do we have that Tony Stubblefield can coach? They they were feistier than Georgetown this year. Yes, but they had he got handed Davy Jones and uh, Javon Freeman Liberty. Both both of whom missed some time. This is true. Maybe um, I'm a maybe I'm a Stubbs hate, hater. I don't know. I will say the uh, the report. Uh, John Fanta had a quote from Kyle Neptune about Justin Moore, and uh, pretty sure he's not playing this year. Yeah, he tore his Achilles. Yes, but there was like there was like varying timelines. He's not playing. And Fanta's quote was like. It was like, yeah, we'll we'll evaluate in February or something whether you can play this year. Like, you're not playing. Oh yeah, you can't evaluate in February if you're gonna play. I, mean, I guess they'd be like, I know I'm going to go pro. I might as well just hop in and play. But he can't go pro after this year. His stock's gonna be in the toilet. He's got to come back. Right, theoretically, yeah. yes. Come back for next year. He'll he'll start. You know, him and Armstrong in the backcourt. He'll have probably junior Jordan Longino. Junior Trey Patterson and, and Dixon in the front court should be a good team. He can get his feet wet before going pro. This is true. Yeah, the quote was, "I don't think we'll have we'll know any dates about when he would come back until at least January or February." Like that means you're not like getting cleared to like do anything until the game. Speaking There's of injured dudes, huh? you see, um, you or I got Alex Chiku. I did. I think I did. I think I saw that like buzz. No, it's on my depth chart, so I did see it at one yeah. point. Decent flyer. Yeah. At a spot, take a swing. Could've been uh, Joseph Ad Billow. Hello, front court. They got a top 150 recruit at center too, Jeremy Fumena. Jeremy Fumena, yeah. yeah. That was a two-scholarship guy that had to take Lewis Hutchinson to close that deal. Or, no, Rory, that, or Stewart. Rory Stewart. Rory Stewart. Yeah, yeah, Rory Stewart. I confused the Bentland-looking white guy names on my depth charts. They've done a good job in the portal, though. Brown Freeman, Anthony Harris, Brandon Weston, Chaku. I think Lewis Hutchinson, I think he played with Jaden Pierre in high school. I think he... I think he played for Long Island Lutheran. I'm not, not, not 100% sure. Sounds like Actually, maybe I'm wrong. Cause, cause I, I, I watched the Jaden Pierre game recently. I don't remember him being on the team, but maybe I'm wrong. Who knows? Well, I think that's it for this podcast. I don't think I have anything else on this episode. Uh, there is a there is a joke from a uh, listener, regular listener, uh, that I will leave nameless. That every podcast around the 120 mark, Brad just randomly comes up with like an A10 take. Particularly in like portal season, like, oh yeah, you know, like George Mason got a uh, John Ogiaco. Well, because how how the Alex Chaku one came up was 
URI and Villanova are next to each other on my depth charts. So when I pulled Wh- up why? Villanova, I, I saw Alex Chacou, and I was like, oh, geez, we didn't mention him. That's, that's uh, pretty interesting. He was a top 75 recruit. Why, uh, why do you have Rhode Island and Villanova next to each other in depth charts? They're in the order that I made them. Your depth charts are nowhere near as organized as mine. I have them grouped by conference, alphabetical, with the head coach's name at the top. It's very good. Well, I, I have the conference name standardized so I can control F and just flip through there conferences. You go. There you go. <laughs> All right, folks. We'll see you all next week with another episode. It's July. It's live period time. I mean, I, I was actually talking to a coach the other day. They're going on an international trip. So, like, all right, we're going to get back. We got one week of practice. Then we got another live period. Then we got two weeks of practice. Then we're going international for 10 days. Then classes start. We'll have a couple of weeks for the guys to relax. And then full practice. And then all of a sudden, it's the season. So, it's 120 days, folks. They're going to go fast. Thanks for listening, as always.